Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. On Monday, of course, Phase 2 began, and that allowed restaurants in Winnipeg and Manitoba to start serving, at half capacity, customers in their indoor dining rooms. Scott McTaggart is uh, joining us now from Fusion Grill, waiter, owner, and of late delivery guy as well. You do it all over there, Scott. How are you? <laughs> yes, uh, the uh, owner-operator definitely has to wear a lot of hats. I'm excellent, Hal. It's, uh, it's got to be serendipity, too, because you know what? I, uh, I had a hot dog uh, for breakfast, and then Cameron Poitras called and said, Hey, Hal, I'd like to talk to you this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, and I, it, when people, paella is kind of a funny dish, but one of the yeah. best, well, I'll just say it, the best paella I think I ever had was at your place. So is that something that's still regularly on the menu, or, or is that a special thing that comes and goes? No, you know what? It's regular on the menu. We really uh, we do a prairie paella with uh, as yes. much of the local ingredients as we can, but of course we're using saffron and uh, arboreal rice and it's a great dish mm. travels really well so um it really did great uh, uh and, and still does doing great with takeout and delivery because it does travel so well there you go uh not a bad option for the weekend uh, listen we don't have tons of time it is a busy friday but i did want to have you on just to chat with you about um how, how has uh, the first week been i i heard you on the start a while ago um you, you opened up the indoor dining room correct we certainly did, yes, sir. How we opened up the din- indoor dining room last night was our uh, first night open. Uh, it was uh, exciting, uh, touching, uh, a bit scary, <laughs> and and uh, it was just dynamite. We had uh, a whole bunch of our uh, uh, really great guest friends uh, come by, including a couple uh, that were here on the very first night that Fusion Grill was open 24 years ago on June the 18th. Wow, and they were there for your first night back uh, in the wake of COVID-19. Exactly, and we uh, we put a patio in. So the patio opened up for the first night last night. So, yeah, they sat out uh, on the patio in a beautiful, uh, sunny Manitoba, uh, windy Manitoba uh, evening, yeah. but it was uh, it was very nice. And busy, because you're only allowed half capacity on your new patio and uh, in the indoor dining room as well. And some restaurants are holding off. They're saying that they can't make a go of it at half capacity. They're better off just staying shut down or doing delivery and takeout. You've obviously, you know, you're going for it. And and how did that work, half capacity? Um, It worked out well because, I mean, we are a small place, as you know, to start with. Uh, So we've got five tables five tables in the dining room and five tables out on the patio so i mean that's how many tables we have normally in the dining room so we're kind of at capacity right now and as long as the weather holds out you know we'll be able to we'll be able to move forward now it was uh you know it was different right there's only two servers myself and a colleague uh on the floor and you know you sort of you know with keeping the social distancing and everything else you sort of got to you know, think of it a little bit, you know, you gotta, it takes a little bit longer. I mean, you're resetting tables, you wipe down, I mean, you know, but it's just, it's just getting that process sort of, you know, so that you're, you're, you know, you can do it like second nature type of thing. So a few more nights, we'll be great at it. Good. Well, listen, um, I, I really hope things continue to go well and Hey, another phase could be happening in the next two or three weeks. And uh, let's hope we see even uh, fewer restrictions in the restaurant business. I noticed today there's a story, restaurant reservation apps. There are apps out there to make restaurant reservations. 
and there's talk that they may soon include health-related questions to make contact tracing easier. And I only mention that story because I'm curious to know, you've been at it, as you said, a long time, 24 years. What changes might we see going forward? What have we seen change so far? And will those changes stick around indefinitely for good? Anything that catches your eye as a a restaurant owner? Absolutely, Hal. And you know, our industry is very competitive and as a result, very innovative. Uh, And moving forward, I think there's, for instance, I purchased, uh, 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 gosh, 10 weeks ago, uh, a sort of a new advanced um, uh, oxidation uh, technology called Safe Haven. Uh, it provides uh, non-touch air and surface biosecurity uh, throughout the dining room, the kitchen, washrooms, the whole building, so that people, um, uh, my guests, are all safe. It kills 99.9% of mold, bacteria, and viruses, and I'm telling you, we, we just, uh, I'm so happy I got it installed just in time. It was sort of the thing that really helped me make the decision to reopen the dining room. And that's just one example of the kind of innovation that's out there uh, now that savvy uh, restaurant operators will, for sure, be taking advantage of to move forward uh, as we, you know, all learn and progress through this uh, new, new uh, uh, well, situation that we have to deal with yeah the new normal right our new normal whatever that's going to be and it's going to change as we go along yeah that's right and it's and we're, is, it a, uh, is know, it an airflow is it an airflow thing scott or like explain what this yeah, technology it, it, it is goes right into, it goes right into the hvac system essentially the hmm. simplest way to put it is that it uh, c- converts uh, natural uh, water molecules into the air into hydrogen peroxide molecules it um, uh, ionizes the air, so there's a positive and negative charge to it, so that the particles start attracting to each other, and it kills right on the spot. There's uh, um, tons of little, uh, rep- uh, you know, um, lab reports, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. It'll kill the germs in a sneeze within three feet of the person sneezing. In the United States, there's a study where um, school absenteeism has gone down uh, 15 to 20% as a result of schools having this device put in. Uh, fast food restaurants across the United States are putting them in like crazy. There's a backlog uh, for ordering them, but, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great name. The Safe Haven, you know. Uh, uh, hmm. So it's, uh, uh, you know, super, super great technology. And, I mean, even the surfaces, right, it kills uh, uh, bacteria mold uh, on the surface of things. So we're still wiping down. We're still doing all the regular, you know, cleaning protocol that we have to do in restaurants, you know, for safe, uh, tasty, uh, you know, dining. Uh, um, but with this added uh, innovation, we're really able to sort of ensure the safety of our, of my staff, of course, the people I work with, I care about very much, and my patrons who I really care about very much too. Yeah. Hey, Scott, thanks a lot for this. Have a great weekend. I hope it stays busy, and please stay safe. Hey, my pleasure, Hal, and you too, my friend. All right, Scott McTaggart, he is the waiter, owner, delivery guy at times. He does it all over there. Uh, it's a great spot, Fusion Grill, um, and a good uh, client of CJOB, and we like to support the people who support us. I was going to share this story with you one way or another, and it's been in the news already, but I was lucky enough to track down Louise Berard. She is the person at the center of this uh, story, just a, a fantastic story. Louise, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Thank you so much for doing this, and congratulations on winning $100,000. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I much appreciate Isn't it. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> yes. yes. And what are you going to do with very. the money before we get into this crazy before we get into this crazy story? What are you going to do with the money? Well, I'm going to for the first thing I'm going to do is fix my house the way I like it. And then if we can travel this winter and there's no crazy virus going around, well, we might go for a little trip. Nice. Well, and, and isn't that going to be nice? You know, uh, the odd uh, shopping and you know, yeah, stuff. <laughs> sure. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. Not not just for the win, but boy, I'll tell you, I had uh, renewed hope in humanity and in people doing good things for other people today. When I heard about this story, so I'll just briefly uh, explain what what happened, and then and I'll let you go and, and talk about it. So. You had a, a ticket. It was in your change purse. You lost the change purse uh, at a uh, post office in St. Boniface. And did you even realize that the, the purse was missing? No, this is the problem. I lost it at St. Boniface, and I thought that from there I went to Canadian Tires and then Costco. And I thought that I had lost it at Canadian Tire, but I couldn't figure it out because I never used my change purse. But I remember maybe it fell on, you know, on the, uh, around where you, uh, your parcel is. And I never noticed it because I noticed it when I got home. And I was upset. I was really, because I loved it. I got it as a prize, as a gift from Guillaume when I bought something from the shopping channel. And it was written on the outside of the purse, Guillaume. And I had yeah, and inside, much money in it. it. I just had a few bucks, which the guy said yeah, was there was hardly can. anything, hardly anything inside the purse. But there was this lottery ticket, so it's in the That's lost right. and found for a month and a half. Ticket and I, I said yeah. to Brian, I said, oh, "The lottery ticket's in there," and I answered. I said, "Well, whoever finds it, I hope they're lucky on it." That was it. And somebody, and, and it was in the lost and found at the post office for six weeks. And while yes. cleaning up, one of the postal workers, one of the postal workers, takes a look inside, sees the dollar ten in change, and the lottery ticket says, "I'm going to check the ticket, see if it's a winner." It's a winner, and so the investigation <laughs> begins. And you were asked when you were back in the post office, you're a regular there. You were asked, "Hey, did you lose a change purse?" You said, "I did." Described it identically. And then the invest some more confirmation was done, and uh, Shoppers Drug Mart in the area said, "Yep, she was here. She bought the ticket, and now it's yours." Yes, and then I had to go to the lottery uh, on uh, Gary, and I had to I answered some questions, which I knew exactly where I bought the ticket, what time. I always buy my tickets, you know, roughly at the same time, and so I knew exact- all the answers. And the fellow was saying 100%, 100%. I was wondering, what is he saying, 100%, you know? Then he said, it's him. when I finished, he said, it's your ticket. And I thought, oh, I had a big lump, but I had it all fixed up. I figured if it's not going to be my ticket, I'll ask for my fingerprints. Because I knew my fingerprints <laughs> had to be on the ticket because I had the ticket in my hands many times. So, you know, but I was just so thrilled. I was just, oh, I was just. I couldn't believe it when they told me. It was so funny the way he told me I won 100000 because 
uh, when I, I panicked, when I said, well, you found my little change purse. And he said, yes. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so happy. And then I, I asked, when I told him, I said, and there was a, a, a um, lottery ticket in it. And I, and I said, I don't guess, I guess whoever wanted it, I says, whoever found it must have got the ticket. No, he says, it's still in the purse. Oh, uh, and he says, it was a winner. And I said, oh, yes. And he said, just a minute. And he went in the back and came back. And I thought he was going to get my little purse. And I said to him, hey, where's my little purse? Have you got it? He said, no. And I thought, what's going on here? And I said, oh, where is it? He said, well, it, he said, we have a problem here. He says, just a minute. I says, what about the ticket? How much did I win? And then he turned around and he looked at me. He says, 100000 And I said, listen, this is not funny. I don't want you to joke like that. I said, how much did I win? And he said, you won $100,000, madam. And I just started to cry and yell and panicked. And I said, oh, my God, this has never happened to me in my life. I worked so hard. And I think I brought the roof down. (laughs) And he was videoing me. You know, he took a video of me. And I just panicked. I couldn't believe I had won $100,000. And then Mm. I didn't even know the name of the guy that, was always serving me. And then they gave me his name so that I, when, you know, that I could phone uh, when I had to phone um, lottery. And then I had to use his name, eh? So his name is Andre. And, uh, oh, my God, I couldn't believe that somebody, when I found out exactly what had happened, they apparently went looking for me all over the place. And the person that identified me, they had... Two things left to do to try and find out. They He kept saying to people, she's got long blonde hair with a raspy voice and a nice personality, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> know her name. <laughs> and, you know, when my when, when, my, when he saw my, my uh, mailman, he said, do you work in this district? And he said, yes. He says, would you have a, a, a client, he says, with long blonde hair, he says, a raspy voice, and he says, a bubbly personality, and he says she shops at the shopping channel. Well, he knew right away. Oh, I know who that is. He says, and then he gave my name. He says it's Louise Berard. Wow, isn't That's that something? Before I run out of time, Louise. Before I run out of time, I gotta ask because the thing that, about this that really strikes me is you were excited to get your change purse back, which I think is is cute. You almost seem more excited about that than the hundred grand. But I know you're excited about both. But what what I find really interesting about this is somebody check the ticket and realize this is a hundred thousand dollar winner and then the investigation was on right to try and figure out who it belonged to and where you were they could have stuck that pocket you you hadn't signed it they could have stuck that pocket in their uh, that ticket in their pocket and walked off and had a hundred grand and no one would have ever been the wiser what does that say about good people doing things for other good people you know, like I said, I said, you know, there's still good people out there, I said. And I thank him. I talked to him often, and I just cannot believe, you know, that somebody had found that ticket. Mind you, I know they have to answer, you know, questions when they get down there. It's not that easy when it's a big amount. But it's, you know, the fact that that he said to me, I said to him, I said, what did you do, Andre, when you passed that ticket in that machine and it said 100000 He said, I said, i got to find that woman. Because he said that he knew the little purse. He had seen it many times, but he couldn't put a name to it. 
Mm. Like you know, he 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 knew, yeah. he, he knew and 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 nobody knew my name, and I didn't know anybody else's mm. name. And 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 you oh. know what? I walked. I went to the post office two weeks prior, and there was a big sign on the door that said, "If you don't need any stamps or anything, put everything in the in the red mailbox outside." Which I did. I didn't need anything, so I just mm. went back in the car and left. And then hmm. it's because I needed a stamp that I went into that mailbox and that post office. Otherwise, yeah. one, I don't know how they would have caught a hold of me. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, what a great I, story, you know, Louise. Uh, it, yeah, it's such a fantastic story. I'm so happy for you. And it, it has just really made me feel so good today about, you know, still really good people, people out there. And you... Yes, absolutely. Louise, thank you very much for doing this. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy your hundred grand. Thank you very much. And you know what? I Louise, listen to you guys, every time I work out, that's you're good. on my, you're the station I listen to. So Excellent. I thank you, Louise. Good, keep up with the good work. <laughs> All right. Louise Berard, she's $100,000. She's in her early 80s. $100,000, Richard. What a great story. Man, that put a smile on my face and warmed my heart today. There are several Black Lives Matter rallies and protests across the country here in Winnipeg, 6 o'clock at the legislature, Justice for Black Lives. And if you've been listening to CJOB today, you've been hearing the voice of Kelly Butler. He was on the start this morning with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. The former Winnipeg Blue Bomber joins us now on the phone. Kelly, good afternoon. It's been a while. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Excellent. Thanks a lot for uh, jumping on here. Uh, we really appreciate it. So listen, clear up something that I'm just hearing now. Uh, you were on the start this morning, and uh, we've had you in our news saying that you're going to be speaking tonight at uh, this rally, but we're now being told by organizers you will not be speaking. What's going on? Initially, I, I'm very impressed uh, that the organization uh, that's doing this uh, put something on like this. I had not heard of them before, and uh, I'm glad that they saw an opportunity to be able to bring to light something that needed to be said. Um, in doing so, from my experiences of growing up in the States and seeing what's happening, I think there were some fundamental things that um, I think for long-term change, uh, we, we, we were just uh, trying to work through that. Um, and, and I still support and believe black lives matter, and I believe that um, there's a way to do certain things. And with that organization and how they're trying to do it, I want to be able to support and not be in the way. And I, w- I reached out and said, hey, I would like to speak to being a black American living in Canada and my, st- and my, 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 my experiences. Um, and then from there, it just said, hey, there were some difference of opinions and saying, hey, I can still support. The foundation can still support. I'm still very adamant in seeing change. And I think about building relationships. If there's a relationship that's not ideal right now um, and not being able to work with them to communicate to fix that relationship is like, what's the end goal of this particular protest? And what's the plan to do that? Um, and, and I've seen by living in the States and seeing, hey, if we don't start implementing and working with each other, we divide each other. Um, so I, I look at it from a, from, a, from a holistic perspective of, at the end of the day, we have to work with the community as a whole and identify problems that are affecting us individually um, and also as by the race of our skin. 
So did they, I just want to clear this up before we move on. Did they ask you not to speak? You said there was a difference of opinions. Have they asked you not to speak or have you chose not to speak? Uh, it was a difference of opinion. There were some things that uh, I wanted to happen as far as uh, certain individuals having the opportunity to be able to communicate and give hope. Um, and uh, the direction they wanted to go with the protest was in a different direction of not being able to give certain people in this community uh, that happened to be black the opportunity to speak. Uh, so I thought it was something that uh, I didn't agree on. And I said, I want to be a part of this, but I don't want my name attached to this. I am attached to the movement of Black Lives Matter. I'm not attached to the way that they're approaching it or going about doing it. So I don't want to take away from it. And it caught me off guard when I saw the post. I thought we had a conversation privately. It came out publicly on social media. So now mm-hmm. I'm talking about it, which we yeah. should be talking about the excitement of the change in the movement. So I said, right. in this... Don't lose. I don't want to lose focus on a man dying in the States for eight minutes. I don't want to lose that focus. I don't want to lose focus on that platform happening in the States, which brought attention to racism and systemic racism across the country. I also don't want to lose focus on building relationships so we have a better future in the, in, 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 a better future um, and, and seeing long-term change. Um, and I believe that that means having a diverse group of people at the table. And if there's a situation with a particular demographic or group being the police, I think that we have to have a working relationship to learn how to be able to work better together. And I'm not saying that we as a black community have done anything wrong, but we need to identify what they're so afraid of or why is there so much friction and why does this keep happening and what both sides are seeing and saying, all right, these are the policies and procedures. And, and, and that's kind of where yeah. we were at with that situation. So I, I think the movement is more important. And, yeah. and, you know, some of the, the fundamental errors or disagreements along the way. So I support what they're doing. I agree what they're doing. And I said, hey, I have my own personal experiences of being a black American. I've experienced racism on, on, on dealing with police officers, I see discrimination. But I've also experienced Black Lives Matter, but having a black man blow my mother's head off. And I've also experienced working with black business and being taken advantage of. So overall, I... The first and foremost thing is black lives matter, and we have to work with all people. Second of all, we have to be able to take advantage of the opportunity that we have to spotlight that we've never had and focus on the bigger issue. Me having a difference of opinion is not what we should be talking about. Us talking about fundamental changes and systemic yeah. racism is what we should be talking about. Right, so and, 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 talking, and so, yeah. That's, so, that's, so, that's my point. That's, that's the focus. Sure. Yeah, and I'm sorry, we, but I just wanted to clear that up. So uh, you're right. There's a much more important conversation to be had here. So let's have that now. Let let me move that along. I just wanted to clear that up because that just came to no, my attention. I, I appreciate it. I have no ill will. I want great success tonight. I wanted to go flawless because me it speaks volumes in the black community and our community to be able to see changes. Yeah. And just because I have a, a difference of opinion how to be able to uh, effectively or execute it is it's like a coach. Yeah. There's different styles to go out mm-hmm. there and win the game, beating racism. My style yeah. necessarily might not have lined up what they're trying to do, but mm-hmm. our idea of being able to have equality, being able to, to, to stop systemic racism, I'm not going to let that stop by yeah. a fundamental disagreement uh, mm-hmm. on how things should be, you know, in my opinion. So it's my opinion. Sure. I can be wrong, and I'm wrong more times than I am right. So it's yeah. the focus Me on too. healing Me- and learning and growing. Me too, man. Let, let me, I want to, I've only got a few minutes left here and I want to make sure we get to, as you said, a much more important part of the conversation. And, and here's what I'm, so you, you may not be speaking to, I guess you won't be speaking tonight. You've been asked not to or you've decided not to. So here you go. Uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba 
uh, listening right now on the 50,000-watt blowtorch, uh, blowtorch known as, as CJOB, what were you planning uh, on saying? What were you planning on saying tonight? This is the beginning. You know, you look at something so painful of losing somebody so violently, and then all of a sudden it brings awareness to something that's been going on for over 400 years um, and not being addressed. Um, and being able to identify that the awareness is here, we have the support of people, um, our allies, our friends, are saying, what can we do to help? Well, let's continue to work together and work for the bigger picture of having a better country. This is about black lives, but in order to go out there and fully have the success that we all want, we need all lives to be able to help because our black lives are not necessarily, you know, being, you know, it's not equal. You know, I wake up in the morning at times when I was living in the States and some of those things are like, hey, I'm trying to fit into something that for some reason they tell me it doesn't belong. And just being able to say, hey, we've come and gone through this and done it this way. This is the beginning of something new. Having a protest, bringing this energy out and the direction is important. And I think that's the message. And I say, at the end of the day, the challenge with that is it's going to be hard. There's going to be setbacks, but the bigger picture is how we can go out there and learn and heal and do better for our children, my daughter, and other minorities, and working with our community. It's, it's focused on the black community as it should be, but we have to integrate and work well together so we can all grow together and we can push this movement forward together. Yeah, we, we've seen um, we've seen everything from protest to rioting to looting in the U.S. Um, this is sort of Winnipeg and Manitoba's first opportunity to have a rally like this um do you is there any part of you that worries that things might get out of hand whether it's an outside what they call outside agitator or more militant people on the issue or or do you think it's going to be a typical winnipeg manitoba protest and rally where uh, things are peaceful and messages are shared that's the problem with systemic racism do you think it's going to be that kind of problem when you go to a Jets game? I don't know. I think the perception of giving us an opportunity and a platform to go out there and showcase and be heard, I think it's going to be peaceful. The energy and attitude and the approach of the public of asking the question itself says that somehow that's a preconceived notion that, you know, because of other people's influence in this about a larger message, it gets distracted. So I think it's going to go off flawlessly. I think uh, the message needs to be heard, and I feel like we as a community in Winnipeg want to do better and will do better and are being presented with an opportunity to show how we can do better. So I feel very confident in the organizers. I feel very confident um, in the police departments uh, working uh, well in this organization to uh, understand that there's some conflict there and trying to be able to make sure that they don't strive any issues and they're trying to learn from some previous mistakes so they can do better in the future. So I feel very confident that we as a community focusing on the issue of black lives will improve and the nights will go well. That is my hope. That's my energy. If it doesn't, we'll learn and grow from that. So at the end of the day, this is going to be positive regardless. Agreed. Kelly, thanks for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it, man. No worries. Hopefully that cleared things up and uh, hopefully the protests being able to support uh, Black Lives Matter. Dr. Cyrus, hello. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? Excellent, excellent. Um, we've got a bunch of uh, prepared content that we've, uh, uh, between you, me, and, and Cam, we've figured out mm. some stuff to talk about here, and I, I like today's subjects here. Let's get going with number one, and I'm sure we'll get off on some tangents as we go. That's my fault. I apologize ahead of time for that. Um, possible, un- 
Yes, possible unintended consequences of COVID-19 news coverage. Well, we certainly are covering the pandemic here on CJOB, so uh, what are some unintended consequences that we should be talking about here? Well, I mean, the COVID-19 is obviously still the news story of the year, but, I mean, we have these um, protests and uh, dangerous behavior, violent behavior in the U.S. right now, mm-hmm. which is kind of catching up in news coverage. Yep. And um, But they may actually be connected. And I think people are trying to draw connections, and, and I'll join the group uh, trying to draw connections between the two things. Uh, one is that you can find... I mean, conditioning is, uh, you know, a really powerful psychological reality. So whenever you pair two things together, you can create, uh, you know, a connection or a false connection or a real connection between those two things that are happening at the same time. So if you have media coverage saying, for example, that this is, you know, an Asian virus or, you know, the China virus, or you have lots of media coverage with people who are of, you know, a certain ethnicity uh, or, mm-hmm. and you have them associated with this. Every time we talk about COVID-19, we're seeing pictures of that ethnicity or race and you have like them wearing masks or, or if certain groups in the population are wearing more masks than others and we're showing that. And all of a sudden we see a pairing and that pairing can, can lead us to just believe that there's a cause, that those people are more likely to get it. Ironically, because those groups sometimes, you know, if they're wearing more masks and things like that, they might actually have it less, but we can, we can see it as a threat. So these aren't really rational processes. It's not like people are trying to make these associations, but when you have certain media coverage associating these things, it can lead, uh, it can lead to greater levels of prejudice. So that's one thing. Um, but it doesn't really explain what's happening in the U.S. because it's not, I mean, the, the races that are happening, um, the, the prejudice and racism that's happening there isn't really associated with COVID. Um, but what happens when people are under, a, then the second process is when people are under threat from a disease, their disgust response goes up. Hmm. They, they just become more disgusted and more quickly disgusted, which is a similar process to racism. So in the same way that our immunity response kind of goes up, our social or behavioral immunity goes up and we start to not like things that are different, not like things that, and we're more likely to find them disgusting. Uh, and that would apply to race as well. So obviously this is a very unfortunate thing, but what they find is that when they threaten people with disease or put them in disease-threatening positions, they're more likely to become racist or have those kinds of uh, reactions. And they're more likely to become aggressive or even violent related to those things because they become more important. Now it's, it's more of a threat. Um, they don't want anything foreign around them. And now this is, I mean, so we see this in the United States. We see this history of, of, you know, pre-existing, sometimes dormant, sometimes not so dormant racism kind of in this society. And then you have this disease threat that happens. And all of a sudden now we have violence. And I mean, obviously you can point to certain events that have maybe triggered that, but then you have this explosion across the country of um, you know all the stuff that's happening and there may be a relationship interesting isn't that interesting here's another uh, connection that i've sort of made um between covid and some of the stuff that's going on uh in our world today it mm-hmm. seems to me that after two and a half or three months of this pandemic, everybody's a little on edge. I'll simplify it just by saying everybody's on edge because it affects everybody differently and it, at different levels. Uh, but it seems to me that maybe if you've got a, a protest situation or a rally, uh, mm-hmm. you've got maybe at least some of those people a little on edge and then events 
can cause those people on edge to overreact. And I wonder if that's maybe not the stress related to the pandemic, if that's not part of what we're seeing, uh, it doesn't make it right, but part of what we're seeing in the U.S. with these protests that begin peacefully and sometimes take a hard right turn. You know, it. We, we often want to think that we're rational creatures and, you know, like that we think these things through and we do them for certain reasons. But so often our responses are, are based in things that we don't really think about. Like, you know, it might, it might be partly because they don't have, they have more time. You know, there's more time now if, if there's not as much of a employment around. They have more need economically. They, they're just more angry generally. When people are upset, uh, when they have been victimized, when they've had difficult things that have happened to them, the blame doesn't have to be rational. People will be irrational with their blame and they will blame whatever's near them. They'll blame whatever they can control, whatever they can affect. They will affect mm-hmm. that thing. And so there's, there's lots of factors here that aren't as noble, like convenience, uh, availability, uh, just general anger, uh, economic need. Uh, when you think about looting, um, that aren't really related to all these principles that we're talking or that maybe they're talking about, not to say that those things aren't part of it as well. Uh, but yeah, there's probably a lot of different factors that have come together, potentially COVID too, uh, that have come together to make this a reality. Hey, let me ask you a quick question here. Uh, this just came to me as we're chatting. The uh, Justice for Black Lives rally tonight starts at mm. 6 o'clock, and we've been talking about this now for a couple of days. Um, how important is it for people to be able to speak and be heard because there will be people at this rally tonight that see this as an opportunity to focus on something that's important to them how important is being able to say your piece and then also feel like you were heard you know it's an enormous thing uh to actually be validated to be heard to have an effect of some kind uh and so, for example, I'll just give you an example, you know, that sometimes I run into in therapy. So, you know, have a child mm-hmm. come home from school and they're like, the teacher did this, you know, and the parent picks up the phone and calls the teacher, calls the principal, creates a big uproar. Another alternative could be, wow, your teacher did this. It's like, yeah, they did this and this. And it's like, that was upsetting for you. Yeah, it was so upsetting. And off they walk, go play their video games or whatever, and it's all done. And it's amazing how it, it comforts the child. Their, the response didn't require anything more than that. Just being able to listen, uh, being able to understand, and not necessarily doing anything uh, can have an enormous effect. Obviously, I don't, it doesn't, it's not great if it's patronizing, if you're just listening in order to kind of calm the person down uh, without actually caring about what they're saying. But people are usually pretty good at sensing whether somebody's caring, whether somebody's taking it seriously or not. And, uh, you know, just listening, being able to do that. I mean, that's a huge, powerful part of what happens in therapy, uh, which is what you know, obviously I do. And uh, it's extremely stress relieving to be able to do that. So creating a venue, allowing people to protest, allowing people to uh, allowing the government to respond, uh, you know, appropriately, uh, hopefully sincerely, uh, is very healing and powerful for, for society. Yeah, because, you know, uh, so much of this is about not, being heard for way too long right too mm-hmm. much too much bad stuff has been happening and and so i that's my hope you know mm-hmm. about tonight here and and these peaceful rallies and protests that are happening that uh that um you know these 
protesters can be heard because I think mm. that's part of a big part of their their frustration. Obviously, um, quickly before break here, another one here: the psychology behind why people think five G makes them sick. Uh, a lot of people uh, talk about 5G, don't like 5G. In fact, there have even even been conspiracy theories connecting 5, 5G to COVID-19. Um, but the psychology behind it, what can you tell us about it, Doc? Well, I want to first say that I don't know whether 5G is good or bad, and I'm not trying sure. to comment on that. Uh, yep. I'm not a scientist in that manner. And so we'll just leave that alone. But there has been a history, uh, a long history, of just people who have unexplained physical symptoms and you know and what happens when people have unexplained physical symptoms is they want to there's a desire of uh, there's a wanting a uh, validation of their sickness and feelings and pain and whatever they're experiencing so as you go back through history um the the general rule is that they will find something in their environment to justify or to explain uh, validate their symptoms so in the past not so distant past it's you know microwaves or remote controls cleaning products, perfumes, things like this, and that kind of kind of explain these responses. Um, it's become a lot more electromagnetic. Now, like with kind of 5G and things like that, and if you go really far back um, in the Middle Ages, it was actually at some one point it was glass. Glass was something that was uncommon. And when people were exposed or held glass, they were worried they would become transparent uh, because it was new and scary and they didn't know what would happen. And... Uh, so these these realities of, of unexplained symptoms and then the general dislike, which is very strong and I deal with very commonly in my profession, the general dislike, dislike of having people believe that it's something related to stress, something related to a psychological process. People really don't like that. And so there's this huge desire to come up with something that's more validating than that, something physically caused. And so then we look at things just around us that are changing in order to try to explain those things. And uh, so that can create a lot of these theories and and things like this, right or wrong. Um, It can be part of the picture. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.